This is Michael Cowan, and welcome to Trial Lawyer Nation. He helps us pan for the gold inside ourselves. You need to have grit. I mean, a lot of this is grit. I feel like I've been made a better lawyer. They're talking about something that's real to them. You have to be really careful not to be Goliath. They saved a bunch of lives and changed society forever. But let's just begin the conversation. Welcome to Trial Lawyer Nation, your source for guidance to win bigger verdicts, get more cases, and manage your practice. And now, here's your host, noteworthy author, sought-after speaker, and renowned trial lawyer, Michael Cowan. Welcome back to Trial Lawyer Nation. On today's podcast, I have Tim Mackey from Vista Consulting. Uh, Tim's the owner of Vista. It's a consulting firm that helps plaintiff's firms run their business as a business uh, that actually works. I asked Tim to come on my show uh, because he's helped my firm a lot uh, what I found is when the business works right and I don't have to worry about the little things happening, uh, then I can really be creative and focus on doing my cases at a high level. When I'm constantly getting interrupted to make sure did something get filed, did the bills get paid, uh, you know, employee issues, I can't get creative work done on cases. And so Tim is going to talk to us about how to make a law firm run better. Uh, he's helped me a lot and I hope he's useful to you too. Today on Trial Lawyer Nation, we have Tim Mackey from Vista Consulting. Tim, how are you doing today? I'm great, Michael. And you? I'm doing just fine. Thanks for asking. So tell me a little bit about, you know, who are you and, you know, why should lawyers listen to you uh, today? <laughs> what, what do you have uh, of interest to us? Uh, good question. Um, again, um, my name is Tim Mackey, and I am the owner of uh, Vista Consulting. And Vista is a um, uh, plaintiff law firm uh, consulting firm. Um, we've been in business since around 2008, and I have been uh, doing consulting work since around 2000 um, with general business, but really narrowed the focus to plaintiff firms uh, around 2008, 2009. Uh, at that time, with a lawyer partner named Chad Dudley, um, uh, Chad is uh, still a very good friend, but not a um, an actual owner of Vista today. But um, we worked together to uh, work on his firm in in operational matters. And uh, again, just define to define what operational matters are. It's really kind of everything that that um, the law firm firm does that's not the practice of law. In other words, how cases get in the door and how they matriculate their way through the firm uh, to ultimate resolution, hopefully, or to non-resolution, um, and that be the right, uh, right call also. So I've been doing this for, since 2008. Uh, I am a CPA by, by training, so I come at things generally from numbers and, um, and metrics, but at the same time, realizing that there's a lot more that goes into successful businesses, such as the culture of the law firm and human resource issues and those type of things. So again, we look at uh, a firm from a holistic standpoint. And I know that's probably a big mouthful, but hopefully that gives uh, uh, you and, and the listeners a little bit of basis from where we come from. Thanks. And of course, I am, uh, full disclosure, I am a client of Vista and, and happy to be one. And you guys have helped my firm a whole bunch and, frankly, let me sleep better at night uh, because things run better. And I appreciate that. 
Uh, let's talk a little bit about how did you get involved uh, in working with plaintiff's firms? I mean, that's not something most CPAs jump into doing. No, absolutely not. And um, uh, it, and I know, Michael, you and I have talked about a lot of things, uh, you know, obviously offline, but you may or may not know that, uh, you know, I, I owned a, a, tr- a traditional CPA firm for uh, many years and kind of got to a point in my career where I made a, a strategic decision um, that I wanted to start helping affect the score of businesses instead of just keep the score. And that wasn't a very easy decision to make. In fact, I struggled with it a lot. Uh, I call it my uh, uh, my breakdown period. My partner uh, in the CPA firm at the time said I should refer to it as an epiphany. But it was, uh, we started kind of shifting our practice from traditional accounting work into, um, uh, again, helping firms define what success was. And one of the first businesses that uh, really accepted our proposal for us to get behind their green curtain a little bit and understand how their business operated happened to be a plaintiff personal injury firm. The other firm, as kind of a, an aside, uh, there, were, there were really two of our first clients. One was the personal injury law firm, and the other was an automobile repair shop. And uh, hmm. and uh, after breaking it down and looking at different systems and processes, you're, you're going to laugh at this, but the systems and processes were quite honestly that not that much different. Obviously, we were looking at um, getting to a result, and if you think about it, um, you know, um, law, lawsuits start generally with a call to a lawyer, and getting your car repair starts with a phone call to the automobile repair shop, and um, both of uh, those calls needed to result in some specific actions from the potential customer, and so we just uh, kind of marched those those processes forward and um, tried to discover, you know, why do people come in to the firm? How can we influence their decision that they've made the right decision to pick up the phone and call and then um, evaluate that it's a case that the firm can handle and do a good job on, and then how does the case go through case management to resolution. So um, we, I don't know that we coined the term, you know, uh, uh, nationwide, but we started looking at what we called operational metrics. Again, being a numbers guy, uh, we said, okay, um, and and again, I'll talk about in terms of uh, the law firm, but I want you to keep in mind that some of this worked for the uh, automobile repair shop uh, also, was how many calls did you get? How many of those calls were calls that you would actually think you could, uh, uh, that you wanted, if you will, that you thought that you could provide a high-quality service? And and then how many of those did you actually convert to customers? And, uh, you know, I, and I don't want to get too deep in, in your particular firm, Michael, but, but your firm, uh, all firms are different, but some firms yeah. are more, uh, you know, uh, attempting to attract the customer with some type of um, either advertising or some type of acquisition mode, um, you know, word of mouth, even if it's simply word of mouth, our reputation, and some of it is referral. So, you know, depending on the type firm, and you know, we we want to understand, you know, what what your mode of acquisition is, and to help you or the particular firm uh, capitalize on what you're trying to do, getting the best systems and processes in place 
to attract those customers and making sure that you, for lack of a better term here, kind of hook them into your business. Not hook them in a negative way, but let them know that they've made the right choice. So was it happenstance that I got there from being a CPA? Um, Some of it possibly. But um, once we started saying, hey, how can we help businesses affect the score instead of just keep score, um, was something that that I became extremely passionate about and can get behind. Um, And for me, it's just a lot more fun. I'm not being being critical of other accountants in any way, shape, or form, but that's what worked for me personally, and that's how I got there. It is amazing how much we don't know about running a business as lawyers. I mean, we don't get any training whatsoever in law school, and uh, for me, it was more a matter of uh, realizing the way that the firm I first went for to work for was dysfunctional and having to work through all those dysfunctions and and um, was working for years by trial and error and trying to read and self-teach until I finally got with you guys, and it's been a, a great help. Uh, what are some of the big issues you see, you know, repeatedly in plaintiff's firms as far as that are that are holding them back as a business? Um, I think you touched on one of them uh, in, in, in just what you said. It's, it's a lack of training in how to run a business. Uh, um, you guys, uh, attorneys, are trained to practice law. You're not trained to run a business that practices law. So what are the industry best practices and what areas should you concentrate in? And again, keeping up with my, my little bit of an analogy with the uh, automobile repair shop, it's the same thing. They know how, generally someone knows how to repair vehicles very well, So he, he's, and he's working for someone, so he decides he's going to go open a business that, that uh, repairs vehicles without realizing that there's much more to it than that. Hey, all of a sudden, we've got to have a receptionist. We've got to uh, make payroll. We've got to keep books and records. Those types of things generally don't come natural to business owners because they're trained to do what their business does, not how to run the business. So Vista plugs in and at that level to help them work on their business, if you will, and not in it. Uh, we don't you know, come in and tell anyone how to practice law, make judgments in lawsuits and those type of things. But what we do is just kind of from look at it from, um, I call it from soup to nuts, from the entire business um, pipeline of, you know, why does your phone ring? And when it does ring, how, how do you answer it? How do you get the business into your pipeline? And what's the best way to move um, whatever product it is, in your case, it's a lawsuit, through your particular pipeline and in the most efficient and effective way. Um, and and I, I will not, generally will not say one of those words, efficient or effective, um, uh, singularly, because, um, you know, just being fast for the sake of being fast um, is not it. Uh, some cases obviously need to be uh, worked up longer because they're more complicated, more complex, and we want to make sure that, um, or attempt to assure, there's no way to make you know about a thousand, but that we identify those cases that should be moved through more efficiently, but also have a system in place to identify the cases that need to be slowed down, worked up, and 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 worked very efficient, uh, effectively to get the the actual result. So 
what are some of the things that lawyers don't do is a lot of times they, and again, this is a generalization, they, they, um, they say, hey, we need to move our cases quicker. And in a vacuum, that sounds great until we go through the conversation about, you know, efficiency versus effectiveness. Uh, and a little bit of an aside is my analogy to that is if you're going to have to have brain surgery, do you want an efficient surger, sur- surgeon <laughs> or do you want someone who's effective? Uh, exactly. Uh, and and so, every case uh, is different. Um, you know, it, absolutely. The, you know, if you only have six weeks of chiropractic treatment, that's the case that probably needs to to get moved along pretty quickly, whereas if it's a serious case, it makes a lot of sense to fully investigate and take depositions and hire experts and push it to the courthouse. Um, but one thing I will say is uh, I've found in my last year, it happens all the time, but this last year we've had nothing good happens from delay to a plaintiff's lawsuit. And what I mean by that is in the last year I've had clients get in the second wreck. I've had them pass away from unrelated causes. I've had them get arrested. I've had them get deported. Um, you know, every possible bad thing that can happen, we see happen, you know, so there's a definite advantage to moving things efficiently, you know, to the extent possible. Uh, I 100% agree. Uh, the longer a case hangs, hangs around and we measure a lot of things, as you know, in Vista, uh, we better be adding value to the case. And uh, one of the things I really have enjoyed about working with plaintiff lawyers is that the the lawyer and their client are on the exact same side of the table. And what I mean by that is the better the client does, the better the lawyer does and vice versa. Right. So uh, absolutely, and uh, educating or keeping your client informed of where their case is 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 also uh, extremely important in the, in the practice of law. Uh, in that uh, you want the your client very involved in what you're doing, but you don't want them to be an impediment. And our uh, and what I mean by that is, is, as long as the firm is proactive in keeping the client informed of what's going on. They're not calling you and taking up time saying, what's going on with my case? So good systems, good processes of client contact are extremely important. And can you give an example of like how, how you set up and do a process? I'll give you, maybe you can use one from my firm. I think you know, a lot of our listeners are probably going to be people that, that do trial work. So I know in our firm, one of the challenges as the firm grows and we're getting more lawyers at the firm is making sure that you know, we, we – Request, notice, and take depositions of, let's say, truck drivers and trucking safety representatives. Right. Um, Absolutely. I can I can give you an example uh, uh, using that. Um, uh, what we found is most law firms have some type of case management system, and I'm not going to name any names, but there's probably a um, hundred different varieties out there. There's some that are more popular than others and some that are, I would say, are maybe a little bit better than others, but they're, they're case management systems. And they're, they're usually very good um, at capturing data that's relevant on, on particular cases. What they are not good at, and I'll say maybe there's a little bit of an exception, some are better than others, they're not practice management systems. Um, in other words, if you are able to enter, you know, when the deposition should be taken or when the expert has to be noticed or one of those things in the case management system, um, you know, you may get a flag on the particular case that, you know, those, those dates pop up 
for your paralegals or legal assistants, and, they, and they're unable to track it. But what, what you're unable to do with most case management systems is get a macro look at all the cases that have experts, all the, all the due dates that are out there in one, uh, in one particular area without digging in very deeply into those management systems. And what Vista has been able to do is um, um, build a little program that's kind of a macro that lays on top of these case management systems that is able to pull out where you can get a view, an overview of your entire practice on uh, our terminology for it is dashboards, on, on the dashboards that you can see, hey, we've got this many clients in this type of treatment, we've got this many, here are the dates that are coming up, here's expert uh, notice dates, et cetera, et cetera. And it's a matter of talking through with the, uh, the attorneys, the, generally it's the owner or the manager, and working with case managers about how to get information into the case management systems so we can get them out in a very efficient way to show uh, um, the managers of how to manage cases and being able to coach people, coach your people in, um, by having really good data. Um, one more little snippet about, about data that, that, we all, that we think is very important, and it's, and it's something that, that we should all recognize, is that you know, in the academic world, we are always, or I'll say in most cases, given enough information through the system to be able to solve a problem. In the real world, and I'll say even more so in the practice of law, just getting the data is the hard part. Once we get the data, we can make very well-informed decisions. But if you can't efficiently and effectively get that data, sometimes we find ourselves guessing, uh, not having good information, and we're, we're pretty much sticklers of to make sure that we gather that data and that we're confident in that data. So I hope that, that tells you a little bit about how we dig in and do some things at Vista. Absolutely, and I'll tell you the dashboards have been a game changer for me. It used to be if I wanted to meet with a lawyer and find out how he or she was was doing on cases where the, the lawyer's working them up the way I want them worked up, we would have to just go through an audit each file and make our own spreadsheets, and it would be really time-consuming. And now I can just press a button. I can see how many cases, for example, the answer has been on file for more than 90 days, but we haven't taken depositions yet. Or the lawsuit's been involved for more than 30 days, but the defendant hasn't been served yet. And, you know, also when I'm getting ready for meetings, I, I can just pull up cases with, uh, you know, all cases with expert deadlines coming up in the next 60 days or 90 days, right, whatever, that whatever information, the time frame. And it's so great. Yeah. As long as it's put in, in into the case management system properly and consistently, which is a training process, uh, then, then we can get it out and we can, we can refine what it is that you need. And what, what you just went through, Michael, those things that you named off, are, are, are they're, they're particular to your firm, but they may not be as relevant to all other firms. I mean, every dashboard that we've built, every firm that we go into has its own unique personalities and wants and needs. And we don't come in with a cookie cutter and say everything has to be just like this. We, we kind of take the Hippocratic oath, you know, first do no harm, and uh, then evaluate what is needed and attempt to adapt what, you, what the individual firms are doing um, as minorly, if you will, as possible, uh, but also uh, in a way that you can get that effective, uh, uh, accurate data out of your system. 
So, no, I appreciate that. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that that those dashboards are still uh, still good for you. Absolutely. And what what I like about you know the first time I worked with the uh, case management system uh, when we got our trainer down, I tried to explain to the trainer that I was a litigation firm, and she tried to explain to me, well, well, you're wrong. You need to be a pre litigation firm, and these are the forms and. and <laughs> you know, this is how, how you need to do it. And, uh, you know, it didn't go over very well with me. And it's just also not what I'm great at. I mean, we all have our talents and, uh, you know, what I'm good, what I'm good at and what I enjoy doing is working up the bigger cases. And uh, other no, people so really, we've really adapted what that. we've done to help you do that. <laughs> exactly. And, and so what you guys did is you took exactly, you know, we drew out my systems that are my ideal systems, the systems I wanted to have followed and then map them out and program them. And it was nice to have someone actually listen to me. Um, that's a, an interesting point. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. One one struggle I have when I'm trying to get it, I found it takes me about a year to get a lawyer to buy in to these mm-hmm. systems mm-hmm. because they come in and they're like, no, I'm practicing law. I'm a lawyer. You know, this isn't making hamburgers at McDonald's. You know, I shouldn't have to follow these step-by-step instructions and enter all this data. And then a year later, when things aren't happening on their cases, and they finally realize, wait a minute, these systems are there for a reason, then I tend to get buy-in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what, what do you say to people that say, well, you know, hey, wait a minute, you know, we're not making hamburgers and McDonald's. This is, you know, they're supposed to be thought and choice and discretion in the practice of law. Mm-hmm. I agree 100% that there is in the practice of law. But, but there, remember that very subtle difference that I talked about a minute ago. We're talking about the business of running a law firm versus the practice of law they will you will never get i uh, would never is a bad word it's highly unlikely you get anyone on the vista team to 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 say we know a lot about practicing law uh, and i do agree that you're not making hamburgers uh, at mcdonald's every case is different every set of facts is different but that doesn't mean that cases should not go through from an administrative and functional standpoint a, a process. Um, you know, uh, every or lots of cars that roll off assembly lines um, are very different. You know, they're different in color, they're different in, in the features and, and things like that, but it's on the same assembly line. It goes through, and, and, and that's where the efficiencies come into play. And I do agree with you uh, that sometimes we get pushback that says, you know, we're, we're not, this is not cookie cutter. So what our discussion becomes is, just like I said earlier, that we're not trying to, to change the way you practice law. We're trying to make sure that all the systems and the best practices and getting cases through as efficiently and effectively are followed and, and to have a management system that can allow us to check up on that. And the only way to make that happen is to utilize some type of system to pull that out. And if a firm, I mean, your firm is not what we we would consider a high volume firm, but it really doesn't matter because you still have more than two cases. And, and if you have more than two cases, you get into wanting to know that the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed on all of those those cases, even though the case facts are, are facts are very uh, different and they vary from case to case. But you know that you're going to have to open a file. You know that you're going to have to request medical records. You know that X, Y, whatever those things are that are repetitive, 
we want to make sure that they're done again very efficiently and the, and you know one other thing a lot of times if we're able to talk to the the attorneys and as the you know um in some cases non attorney um uh, you know, manager type people, we're able to communicate that sometimes a little more effectively. That's why we like to talk to people, uh, you know, directly. So uh, I don't know if I kind of got to your questions. How do we get to their buy in? It's education. And it's interesting because I've, I've got a little take on it because when someone comes to work for me, I often am trying to change the way they practice law because I wanted to do it mm-hmm. my way. Because uh, mm-hmm. when people send, refer us a case, we're making a certain promise as to what we're going to do, and I need to make sure it gets done. Uh, and, I, you know, the tools that we use with you guys is, is ways to make sure that the things I want done, you know, from the request for information and, and obtaining data um, and sometimes getting a restraining order, you know, the day the case comes in through getting records, uh, communicating with our clients, monitoring the file, you know, all that stuff is getting done the way we want it done. And so, you know, you guys didn't tell me how to practice law, but you've really helped me implement and make sure other people that work for me are practicing the way I want Absolutely, and 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 I think you're not saying that you practice law by checklist. There's so many judgment things that come into that, but you still have to ask you know certain questions. There still needs to be certain amount of contact, and how the attorneys work within that system is very important. Uh, you know, when the Green Bay Packers uh, designed their their famous sweep, you know, it was supposed to go one way. You know, and everybody had their their jobs to do. But if if something didn't work exactly right. That running back had total flexibility to to use his talent and judgment to do what he thought's best. We're just trying to you know line up the play. We're not going to say that it's going to work perfectly every time, but without lining it up, it's 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 chaos. <laughs> no, well, the other thing, that's what we try to prevent. The other thing I found is when when the systems are working, when you know. A lawyer doesn't have to think, okay, what letters do I need to send out? What do I need to do to get depositions uh, noticed? Uh, you know, have we served that person or not? When those things are happening automatically, then the lawyer f- is freed to actually mm-hmm. work on the big strategic things. Okay, so, I mean, we're able to do more focus groups. We're able to put a lot more thought into depositions, uh, create exhibits in advance, because we have time now to actually think about our cases because we're not – you know, stuck panicking all the time or worried about a deadline coming up that snuck up on us or, you know, it, it really, and that's what it takes. It takes about a year. It takes someone to not follow the system, see what happened, what, what goes wrong and realize, okay, these systems actually help me and free me up to be a better lawyer. And that's our goal. That's our goal is to help you practice law efficiently and effectively and not worry about, you know, um, turning the lights on, you know, or whatever the yeah. things are that take up your time and keep you up at night. And what we found, what generally happens is that the things that keep attorneys up at night, it's not actually the practice of law. It's the business of running the law firm, and that's where we plug in. And things falling through the cracks, and that's one thing that's <laughs> helped with. I mean... We had, I had a lot of pushback when, you know, we used to have meetings with, with me or with a managing attorney every month, and we went to doing a, having a, a lawyer in the legal system do a file review that they had to document in the file once a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like a mini meeting with me where I don't go over every file, but I look for their file reviews and their cases, and, and, uh, and we do like a two-hour meeting instead of a two-day meeting. Uh, right. And I had lawyers push back saying, well, I don't have time to, to, to do this file review on my files every month. Well, if you don't have time to touch the file in a month, then you don't have time to work on the file. 
If you want to make money off this file, you need to at least have time to look at it and work on it. If you don't, well, then, you know, you have too much work or yeah, you're not and, working hard enough. <laughs> I totally agree. And that brings me to, you know, the three points we always talk about in regard to people, because sometimes when we go into law firms, we we hear from the owner, you know, my people don't do this or they won't do that, um, it, that kind of thing. And, and that's, you know, a lot of times I consider it a little bit of a cop-out because, in my opinion, if you're the owner or the manager, you know, you're responsible to your team and for three things, which is to make sure that they have the tools to do their job, to make sure they have the training to do their job, and to make sure that you have explained what the expectations are of that job, and those expectations obviously need to be realistic. But if you've done those three things, you know, given them the tools and the training and or mate are assured they have the training and, and explain what you truly expect, and then the team member does not, cannot or will not perform, that's the only time, in my opinion, we should look at actual people and possibly making some type of change. Because if we haven't done those three things, that's really a management problem. It's not a people problem. We've got to get that right, and then we're able to to say, okay, we've given you the tools, you have the training, you you know what we expect, and here's you know here's our time frame. We're going to revisit this, and if it's not getting done, then we have to reevaluate. Um, that's pretty strengthening, uh, really, and and assuring because you know some of the things that you know no one likes to make a personnel change, and right. uh, what we found is because of the person, you know. Because a lot of times they're really unsure if they're making the right decision, and but once you go through the process of assuring yourself and being confident that you've given them tools, training, and you've explained it, and there's then the performance in there, it becomes so much more easy and logical because you can actually look that employee or team member in the eye and say, "Look, what would you do if you were me? You know, I've get you have all of this." And you've just chosen not to perform, or for whatever reason you can't, but it's the same result. And uh, it's it, it gives the uh, gives the owners much more confidence in um, in running their practice, and and when they're assured that those things are happening. Yeah, I remember the I guess the paper tool y'all gave me to to do that was a, I think you called it performance improvement performance plan. Improvement I had to meet plan. with an meet with an employee and and. As funny as this is, as a trial lawyer, which you would think is a confrontational business, and I have no problem being confrontational in court, uh, in social situations, I don't like confronting people and confronting mm-hmm. problems. Uh, right. and so I avoided it, which makes problems bigger. And so, you know, I came back from a, a Vista workshop I went to a few months ago, and we had one, one particular employee that we we're having some issues with. And, you know, so I wrote up a performance improvement plan. I met with them, and I was just shocked at how um, – positively he responded. In fact, you know, within hours, I got emails. Well, here's some things I've been working on that I've been thinking about doing, but I didn't know whether I could say anything or not. Here's some ideas. And and it just, you know, 180 degree change overnight. Once I think he was going around just thinking he was going to get fired because he was messing up. And when, you right. know, when we come up with a plan and training and, and, you know, and, and help, and it just really made a huge difference. And, uh, and he no, just I, lit I, up I, and responded so positively. I'm tickled to death to to hear that to hear that, Michael. And uh, you know, again, if if employers get two of the three, they usually go for the tools and training, but they forget the expectations part, and and that is so important uh, because the the uh, the team member, the the employee, they can't read our minds. And a lot of times, if owners and managers that have have reached some level of success, 
you're you you're usually intrinsically motivated and sometimes our team is just not that way and we we need to not want people to be exactly like us but we have to build systems and processes to uh, assure that you get the outcomes that you want and uh, this is that's part of being a good manager it has nothing to do with practice and law but it has to do with yeah. being a good manager but but I will tell you when you know when my other departments are working right when I don't have to worry about uh, you know, losing a call with the receptionist, I don't have to worry about things being filed at the wrong place or not being routed or hearings not being countered properly. It sure makes it a lot easier to practice to concentrate on practicing law. <laughs> Amen. Amen. That's our that's our goal is to free you up to uh, do what you do and and to do the right thing for the client. You know that still has to be utmost in in our minds and in our clients' minds, and I know it's that in yours because we've we've had those conversations. One one struggle that that I've had, and I know other uh, talking to other lawyers, they've had is hiring. Uh, mm-hmm. What is some advice you can give to lawyers on, on you know hiring, finding and hiring the right people? Because I noticed that, and I've actually read some studies on this recently, or articles at least on this recently in my own experience. Is that you know the interviews do not seem to be a very good way to predict who's going to do a good job. They just seem to measure how well people are interview, and it seems like the people mm-hmm. that hop around from job to job. Um, interview best because they have a lot of practice at it, uh, and then <laughs> right. resumes. I mean, I, you know, there is so much puffery uh, going on in resumes. I mm-hmm. mean, I have people calling me. I just had one um, yesterday. A friend of mine has someone applying, and you know, our former file clerk who worked for us for a year said she was a, a litigation paralegal for six years at our firm. <laughs> wow! Wow! Um, no, I can. So uh, what, I can what certainly do you have to give? <laughs> Certainly yeah. can address this. Uh, you know, we go by the, uh, the the old adage of hire slow and fire fast. Uh, and what we mean by that is uh, uh, hiring, it, it, it is much more of an art than a science, but there are some things that you can do to increase the batting average, if you will, of, of making the right hire. And uh, generally, it's, it's, it's a process. What we, what we hate to see is... Uh, are here is that someone needs to make a hire by Friday, whatever, whenever Friday is, uh, because that, a lot of times that's, that's we're looking for a warm body as opposed to the right person. And we are strong believers in, in hiring slow, going through a um, an interview process that's that's a little bit more involved than 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 um, than the average uh, bear, if you will, the average interview. Um, where we we're very um, intentional about what type of ad if we're going to use you know a public ad um, we want to our, our, the ads that we use are generally longer than than the normal ad um, in most cases I do not like using a blind ad I don't need to tell people where they where they're interviewing um, simply because they're going to find out sooner or later I hope. Uh, so why why do we want to hide some of that? Now there's some specific reasons sometimes why you want to do that, but in most cases I fall on the side of you know um, putting the name of the firm in there, being very descriptive as to what you're looking for, and then asking uh, for three things in a response. We want to get your resume, which is generally you know accepted. I want to know what your salary requirements are, and I want you to have a short paragraph or paragraphs that tell me why you fit the job. And that screens out a lot of people. Um, uh, you know, uh, we, what I'm more interested in than 
than some of the content in that is that the candidate is able to follow instructions. Um, and if they're able to string a few sentences together in a paragraph, um, that's good. You learn a lot there. Uh, and, and you not, don't just get a stack of resumes uh, for someone to, to pour through. You, you, you've kind of pre-screened, if you will. Um, and if, if you're interviewing for a $30,000 position and the, and the candidate says, I need 130 then no matter how good they are, that's probably not going to work out. And again, I don't want to say that that we haven't interviewed people who's plus or minus 10 or 15% on either side of what we think the position is worth. But if we want to know what the market is, and that's a way to figure out um, or at least get some read on what the market is for the position that you're offering is what do people tell you? salary requirements. And we also know right. that some people puff that. But but again, it, that that's the start of the process. Then we believe the next step is a telephone interview. How do they how they work on the phone? We're not trying what we're trying to do is not waste a lot of time to get people in the office for um for an interview without having an idea uh that these could be the right people and that the salary that we're willing to pay is in the ballpark of what they are asking. So there, it's a very intentional process uh, to go through that. We're also strong believers in shadowing, if at all possible, before you make the hire. See if you can get the person to come in, if you've gone through those processes, to spend a half a day or a day um, in your office. Let your team get a read on the um, on the potent, on the candidate uh, and give you input, you know, out of your presence, you know, the you know because obviously a candidate, as you said, they're good interviewers. They're going to put on the the interview is the best foot forward. So again, I'm probably going on a little more than you wanted in this, but we're we're very much strong believers in that and in in taking your time, being intentional about the hire. And I'll take this one step further that you didn't ask about, which is part of this in my opinion, is the actual onboarding process. Once you pull the trigger and you get them in, you know, what's their first day look like? What's their first week look like? What's their first month look like? We want to set them up for success instead of just saying sink or swim. Um, and those days, weeks, and month, and the first month should be pretty much choreographed. And, and again, we're trying to get the best read that we can, but also we're trying to set them up with everything that you expect and communicate that. So, again, probably a little bit more than, than you wanted there, but that's how, how we like to see it done, and that increases the batting average. Yeah, the other things I would mention is, you know, definitely check references. That's yes, abs- rush through. absolutely. And, and I remember we have a, I have a former manager that, that hired someone, and I remember she didn't tell me, you know, she hired the person as a paralegal and didn't tell me until afterwards. And she had actually worked for one of my referring lawyers. I actually knew her. And I had a bad feeling about it, but we had already hired her. And it was one of these, you know, we needed somebody Friday situations, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, I mentioned it to my referring lawyer. Oh, we hired so-and-so. And he's like, oh, my gosh, why didn't you call me? She was a disaster. And I, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and just, uh, you know, and it was just so frustrating because the manager had just, you know, this is a very, very, very good friend of mine. I mean, one text or one phone call, it would have taken 30 seconds. And and I have found with, that while I have my manager do a lot of the hiring um, process, because I don't have time to do mm-hmm. everything, and she's better at it than I am, uh, I, the one exception is checking references, because a lawyer will take my call and actually speak to me honestly, whereas if it's mm-hmm. a manager, they just either won't give a call, take the call, or they'll just confirm dates of employment where 
lawyer to lawyer, I find that people are a little more forthcoming. I know some states people mm-hmm. have to worry about references, but Texas actually has a statute giving you immunity for job references. Uh, oh, wow. That's interesting. And I, I do agree with that, even though I didn't say that through through uh, my, my response. I agree in checking references. The other thing that, that, that I think uh, everyone should consider is some type of uh, aptitude test. Uh, there's some good ones out there. Uh, again, I'm not going to name names, but there's two or three that we like to use uh, that, uh, you know, it's not really what I would call a personality test, but it's some aptitude that this particular person fits the job that you are actually looking for them to fill. You know, their aptitude is leaning that way. Again, I, we believe that it's, it's, it's impossible to measure the cost of a bad hire, so we would rather spend a little bit more and have a little bit more cost on raising our bad and average and getting the right hire. So uh, I'm, I'm 100% with you on that. Uh, other yeah. things we've done is we've developed actually, you know, short subject matter tests of stuff where if someone really Very has good. experience as a paralegal in Texas, they know some basics. We don't expect them to, to have everything memorized, but if we put them there with a rule book, they should know how many days you have to respond to discovery. They should know what we call a Rule 11 agreement, which is a, an agreement to extend a deadline typically, uh, you know, what the rules are for filing medical records. Um, you know, that's just some basic knowledge. And we've, you know, we've got some people puffing their resumes when they weren't able to do that. And finally, uh, recently, you know, we've started doing criminal background checks. And uh, mm-hmm. we have had a number of people, uh, including one we almost started for counting with theft convictions. Uh, Ouch. Ouch. And, and then someone else with, you know, multiple assault convictions and stuff. And, uh, you know, they interviewed well. They had an okay job history, but it's just, you know, we just can't take that risk. I don't think we can do enough, Michael, in in, uh, in looking uh, at backgrounds. You know, we, we also suggest uh, stalking them on Facebook, social media. What do they have out there? It's amazing what, what we have found, um, both good and bad. Uh, so uh, yeah. th- there's lots of ways to do it. There's lots of uh, uh, techniques. And... Uh, and in, in this particular area, I don't think you can use too many techniques to, to raise the, the batting average on this because, once again, you can't measure um, the, the cost of the bad hire. It's just, uh, it's tough. It's tough. Turnover is, a, uh, is just, uh, it can, can rob profits uh, quicker than anything. Absolutely. Yeah, it sets you back so much to have to, you know, hire and train and somebody else and then all the work that doesn't get done while the other person's out, and then while the bad person's not working, then when they're out, then when you're having to get someone else up to speed, you exactly. get a huge lag time. Exactly. Um, in fact, I found that it helps to pay a little more to get good people than it does to try to be cheap and get bad people and have to constantly replace them. I agree with that, too. And, uh, you know, the, the thing that we can find through a detailed interview process is what, what motivates people. You know, a lot of times we find it's not money. They're looking for job satisfaction. And, it, it, and certainly money is a part of it. Don't get me wrong on that. It has to be reasonable. But, you know, pleasant place to work. If everyone in your office told the candidate, you know, it is a great place to work. It's respectful. It's somewhat fun. We get our work done. We work hard. We play hard. When you, when you, uh, when a candidate hears those things, they want to come. And that's, uh, and that's what you want is to be a magnet uh, as opposed to just uh, out there, you know, hunting. You know, I call it fishing rather than hunting. We want to fish and attract someone to us rather than go, go hunt them down. Exactly. So when you have a a law firm, you know, reach out to you, say, hey, you know, I'd, I'd like you to, to look at my business and see where you could help. What is your process for kind of looking at a law firm 
coming in there? Uh, and uh, I love it that you're asking a question that you know because you went through it. Yeah, I know. We, uh, what what our, our, our process is, and, and, and there's no surprise, we, we do have a process is, um, you know, generally people reach out to us in different ways, you know, email, phone call, and, and just about all of it is, is word of mouth, thank goodness. But, uh, you know, we want to gather information from from the uh, the firm, and then we do an office visit. We we um, we have what we call our pre-visit package, which uh, requests certain data. Uh, we want to know um, if we can learn a little bit about the culture that's currently at the firm. We do that through um, uh, surveys and questionnaires of of the team members. We uh, generally spend. Uh, 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 one to three days on site, depending on the size of firms, et cetera. Um, it, doing interviews, um, getting the vibe of the place, looking at what systems and processes are there, digging into case management systems. From there, we produce a report that says, hey, this is what's good, this is what's bad, this is what's ugly, this is where the action steps that need to be taken, in our opinion, from our, our assessment. And, and, and at that point, there's a roadmap. Uh, for um, for the firm to follow, um, and they can take that and run with it. Or, you know, percentage wise, probably seventy five to eighty percent of the clients that we uh, perform an assessment on, and that's a that's a a project for us. The assessment part that I just described, then says, you know, after the report is, hey, can you help us implement this? And uh, we then say, yeah, we can do that. And uh, and here's how we do that. We uh, we have operational consultants that are point people, if you will, on um, uh, for clients, and we generally have on-site visits to coach, and we have monthly proactive uh, phone calls where we we decide what projects and what chronology, in other words, what where can we get the most early yardage is where we want to start um, uh, with the firm. And uh, uh, we have what we call our 24-7 reactive service, which is uh, where uh, if, if there's something, a question that's hot that, hey, we really need some input quickly, we welcome any phone call or email and we'll respond as soon as possible, even though we may have a phone call, a proactive set call coming up in two days, you know. Uh, so we try to um, uh, deliver our services that way, and we have a very specific way that we monitor our our progress on projects. Um, we we keep a top projects document, and we basically tick them off. You know, how far are we? We have an internal meeting once a week. Hey, where are we on this client? You know, what's the projects? Where are we? Is anybody stuck? Is any, can we help? Um, so again, no surprise here. We have a process, and uh, and we've been able to, uh, you know, um, lucky enough or skilled enough to be able to, to say that we've helped a, a lot of firms um, improve their their outcomes. And you know, sometimes they're looking for you know, a uh, improved process, smoother operations, which yield more profitability. Um, sometimes we we've had people say, look. I think I'm doing okay, but I need I need a system that helps me get out of here. I don't need to be, you know, doing everything. So we try to define what success is for the individual firm and the firm owner, and we simply map out, you know, how to get them there and and hold them proactively accountable to the best practices and any innovation that we know to help get them there. So that's the process. Yeah. It starts with assessment and then moves into implementation. 
for me, success is doing all the things I enjoy doing while the things I don't enjoy doing are done well by someone else. Uh, Amen. So, I think I remember that. I think I remember that. I'm about that. 75% of the way there. We're working on it. One one thing that I've struggled with over the years, because, you know, I started off, uh, I've worked with other consultants. I've, you know, started off buying the E-Myth book by doing uh-huh. other, reading other business books is, I'll go by and I'll look at my business and uh, I'll spend a day or two, quote unquote, working on the business. And I'll come up with a list of 100 things I want to get done. Um, hmm. But when I try to do 100 things once, nothing gets done. So how do you go about, about actually prioritizing and making sure that, you know, things actually happen? Well, a couple of things. Number one, we, we always look at, you know, what what items, what things can we do uh, that's going to get us the quickest response, uh, the quickest improvement, and will also allow for buy-in from your team. Uh, we've gone into firms where they've tried lots of change, uh, lots of projects, attempted to change things, and they don't stick with it. Um, and therefore, when, when it doesn't get, when, when the team can't see any progress, the, the, uh, the whole project will fail or it'll just slow down and go away. Um, we generally don't let those kind of things happen. It's a constant pressure, if you will, to say, okay, here are the projects that are on our board. We've thought through, and these are the top five. We're going to work on these top five until we get them done. And once the team realizes that we're not going to let go until we get to the end, we're going to wrestle that alligator until we ultimately win. Um, that's where buy-in comes from. It's just being consistent and uh, identifying the projects, uh, prioritizing them. And, and quite honestly, a lot of times the, the, the team members help us do that because they know what needs to be done. Sometimes, you know, you may not want to hear it, but sometimes they know more than you and what, where, they really, where they really need help. So, uh, I, I will so, say that, the, uh, you know, I, I did find at the beginning we got a lot of uh, – well, Michael's come up with a bunch of ideas and, you know, not follow through. So if we ignore him this time, it'll pa- it'll pass. And we have to get through that resistance. Uh, no, you're, you're, you're right. Right. That you guys have done is you've, you've had us work on, I guess, uh, you know, certain project cycles where, you know, during the next eight weeks, we're going to work on these two things or these three things. Right. And then you've had me put everything else in a parking lot. So when I come up with my list of 100 great ideas, just put them all in the parking lot, and then we, when we finish our current projects, we look and see, okay, now do we actually want to do any of these? You're right. You can have, get everything done you have too many. You can have too yeah. many. Um, you know, the other thing is that we've learned is there needs to be a point person, someone that owns the project. If you say that, hey, everybody's responsible for something, generally it doesn't happen. If you give one person the responsibility and they're the go-to person, then, then again, it doesn't always happen, but most of the time things get done. I call that uh, my public restroom theory, which is, you know, right. public restrooms are probably the most nasty places in the world because we're all expected to keep them clean. There's no one particular person uh, that does that. If there was, it would be clean because that one person would do it. But when you say, everybody, it's your job, then it's always the next guy. And, um, and we're, we're pretty adamant about having a champion or an owner of, of a project. The other thing I found is it, it can't be me because if I'm between working on a project with accounting or a paralegal and getting ready for my trial, I'm doing trial work. 
Uh, and it's just it's what I like, and and it's got the you know you feel the urgency, uh, and although there's always urgency, I, I, there's an interesting book I've listened to uh, recently. I've been doing these books on tape when I run, mm-hmm. uh, and it's called The War of Art. It's about really it's about mm-hmm. a writer and his struggles to write and overcome writer's block. And he says that you know if you want to write or you want to do art, and I think it's the same thing, the same holds true to I think improving a law firm. You have to separate out what's important from what's urgent. And there's always something urgent, and you deal with the urgent after you do the important stuff because there'll always be an urgent thing to distract you. And you just have to kind of sometimes, okay, this is urgent, and I'll get to it in three hours, but I still need to do the important thing that I'd set out that I'm going to do today. Um, because okay. if not, the well, little well mini crises said. keep you from getting anything done. Well, I'm well just quoting said. somebody. So. <laughs> well, yeah, and I've never had original thought. A lot of things that we, that you've heard me talk about today, you know, I've learned from. Um, Reading from um, getting involved in firms, you know, the other thing that I'll say before we before we get off is that we learn with every firm because you know we don't go in there saying that we have a cookie cutter approach. We want to say what's working well for you, and a lot of times we'll say, "Gosh, we've never seen it exactly like that," but that's really cool. And uh, we do a lot of R and D at Vista, which is rip off and duplicate. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. If it works, we want we want to see everybody do it. You know, our clients for sure. One of the good things about plaintiff lawyers is we are pretty good about sharing what works because there is really plenty of work out there for all of us. Um, I guess one big important thing, you know, you've you've done a whole lot for me. I mean, I'm making more money and I'm sleeping more and uh, actually have more free time than I did when we started working because uh, things are just working better at my firm. Uh, if someone else wanted to uh, get in touch with Vista or learn more about Vista, how would they uh, how would they find you and how would they do that? Pretty easy, uh, really. Uh, I guess uh, the easiest uh, website is www.vistact.com. That's vistaconsultingteam.com. That's what CT stands for. So vistact.com. Um, my phone number is area code two two five three eight three. Two nine seven four, or you can shoot me an email at tmckey at vistact.com, and we will we will respond. Um, or call Michael Cowan, and he'll give you my number again. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, thanks, Tim, and I appreciate you taking the time to to talk to us. And I hope uh, I hope our listeners learn something they can use in their practices. Well, I certainly hope so too. It's uh, something I enjoy doing, and I hope uh, my, my passion for helping. Uh, lawyers um, uh, achieve their goals uh, came through. I appreciate it very much. Thank you for tuning in today to Trial Lawyer Nation. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Tim Mackey. Tim's really helped my firm from an operations standpoint. Uh, You know, when I first started my law practice, I learned everything through trial and error. I worked for a guy that was a incredible trial lawyer but not such a great businessman and it took me really 20 years to learn how to run a law firm that functions right Uh, hopefully you can help skip past some of the hard lessons i've learned and uh, get your practice running to have the firm that you deserve our next guest i'm very excited is randy mcginn she is an incredible trial lawyer from albuquerque new mexico she has had some incredible verdicts Uh, she's a fabulous speaker She wrote a book, Changing Laws, Saving Lives, How to Take on Corporate Giants and Win. It's a book that I actually started reading, and I finished it in a day and was so excited, I immediately handed it to one of my partners and said, read this and pass along. Everyone in the firm has to read this book uh, because it is a 
not only a great book on how to be a better lawyer, uh, but it's also a great story, and it's just compelling, and she's a compelling uh, conversation that you're going to want to hear. Look forward to talking to you next time on Trial Lawyer Nation. We look forward to talking with you again soon as we continue to explore powerful insights from our amazing hosts and remarkable guests here on Trial Lawyer Nation. Until then, please be sure to subscribe and review this podcast on iTunes or your favorite listening app so we can continue to reach more listeners. Visit us at www.triallawyernation.com to send us a message, listen to previous podcasts, or learn more about Michael Cowan and our guests. This podcast has been hosted by Michael Callen and is not intended to, nor does it create the attorney-client privilege between our hosts, guests, or contributors, and any listener for any reason. Content from the podcast is not to be interpreted as legal advice. All thoughts and opinions expressed herein are only those from which they came.